And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. And welcome once again to the J.C. and Morgan podcast. Hope you've missed us. A little bit of a longer respite than normal. Uh, that's predominantly my fault. I'm, I'm knee deep in uh, college baseball postseason just got uh, well, the ACC championship in Charlotte at a regional from South Bend. And uh, I've got the uh, super regional uh, Arkansas and NC state uh, this weekend beginning mm. tomorrow. So it's been a, a been a busy time. And after that is done, then things cool off a bit and we'll be back to our weekly uh, arrival on this thing. And we appreciate, uh, as I always say, when you guys are upset that we've been gone, then I know that we're doing something right. If we weren't, doing anything right you really wouldn't care so <laughs> i'm glad to hear when you guys ask when, when are you guys coming back uh so we are back he's jc sherbert at 24 7 sports i'm mike morgan of espn and the sec network we got a special program we've been guest heavy really for the last few months we've had some incredible guests i can't uh express enough gratitude to the folks that have joined us and today will be no exception we're, we're going to dip our uh uh, dip ourselves into the ink of head coaches and Shane Beamer will be first on the docket, the head coach of South Carolina, plenty of interesting things to talk about with him, not just, you know, breaking down the two deep and Kevin Harris and Luke Doty and defense and everything else, but, uh, but get to know more about him, uh, the process, how he got to this point, how the job came about all that good stuff. So he will join us about uh, 30 minutes in and in the meantime, we've got a whole lot of stuff to talk about, J.C. It's been an interesting week or so. I mean, we, we are talking about radical changes coming down the pike in college football, and we're going to touch on those. But first off, how are you, my friend? Doing well. Uh, it's been, um, you know, the month of June. I've dedicated to uh, getting back into shape. Um, and so I've been on a uh, calorie-restrictive diet, and, and I've talked about this, and uh uh, it's been hell, but uh, no pain, no gain, right? You know, I've got yeah. some be- beach trips and cookouts coming up um, and trips out of town in, in July and August and some concerts. And, you know, I, I don't want to, like, be standing up at a concert and be so large I block people. So, uh, <laughs> it's, it's yeah, I figured sacrifice June for July, August, and the football season. And so that's kind of what I've been focused on and obviously – you know, with the big spur.com with recruiting coming back for the first time in 15 months, uh, with all the talk around college football, uh, it's been busy from a work standpoint, uh, really for the, for the first time in a long time, I felt like every day there's a lot to digest, uh, around the sport, both, you know, locally kind of where I cover and also nationally. No doubt. And by the way, that's, that's all inspiring. I need a little bit of that inspiration myself. I've got a wedding to get ready for in a few months and I'm mm. marrying a, a Kentucky girl and we've already got plans to be at a lake in Kentucky and the beach in Florida. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to get a whole lot of working out in uh, <laughs> time of year for yours. Truly. This is where I might pack on a few, uh, but, but uh, July will be uh, get, get, get it together. Actually late June, July will be, get it back together. Um, like you said, I mean, things are starting to get back to normal um, with recruiting now And before you know it, we're going to be talking about uh, the fall and practice and we're going to be breaking down schedules and everything else that goes along with it. Uh, 
you know, there's, I don't want to start with NIL because it's so, when I talk about NIL, although I think it's extremely important, it, it starts to make my head hurt. And I don't think either one of us got into this to start breaking down uh, things like name image likeness, things uh, talking about senators in DC debating this, that, and the other. And uh, yeah, so, so let's start with the big story of the week. And the big story of the week is playoff expansion. And, and this is not your typical, uh, hey, we got three hours to fill on a summertime talk show. So uh, the, the red meat to the audience is always just, hey, how about playoff expansion? And the phone lines light up and boom, you got yourself a show. This now is pretty legit because uh, – there's some pretty heavyweight reporters that are reporting this. Now, again, some of these reporters are the same ones that told you there wouldn't be a college football season, nor should <laughs> they. Uh, some of these reporters, um, unfortunately, uh, can't help but let their politics uh, get into everything that they cover in sports. But I do trust the the words of the Pete Thamels, Heather Deniches, in terms of they are hearing there's a lot of momentum for this. And I'm not hearing anything to the contrary from some of the people that I would suspect if there was really a major blockade out there, then I I almost have a feeling we would have heard about that and we're not hearing it. Mm -hmm. So here's my conclusion, JC, and and, and then I'll want to bat it to you and see what you think. I've always thought we're heading to playoff expansion. I didn't think it would necessarily happen before the deal is up. And there's five more years left on this 12 year contract of a 14 playoff. And I have said on every platform that I'm on, I never thought it would go past eight. If I am wrong on that, then I am wrong. But I know for a fact, there are some pretty powerful people that don't want 12. My question becomes, is this like one party, one vote? Is this each power five commissioner has equal uh, influence on this? Uh, I don't think the group of five commissioners have an equal vote. Why do I say that? Because if the group five commissioners really want something that the power five commissioners don't want, guess what? There's always that threat of seceding from the union, right? Yeah. They, they can always hang that over the head. Like, okay, you're going to, you're going to play that game where you got more votes. See ya. You are now, def- you are de facto one double a football and we've got our own thing with 64 teams in Notre Dame. That's always out there. But what's the what's the monkey wrench in all of this is that the Pac-12 has been so, for lack of a better word, bad, uh, that they have been excluded from this more often than not. The Big 12 has been excluded several times other than Oklahoma. The Big 10 has even had years where they haven't been in it. And so it's effect, effectively been an SEC, ACC party. And I'll throw one more factor in all this. Do not underestimate that even major programs, in fact, mostly major programs, lost anywhere between 75 and $100 million last year mm-hmm. in college football revenue. And this is the quickest fix to get it back. So I am starting to believe this is more than just random speculation, that there truly is a significant movement to have expansion. I'm still not entirely convinced it's going to be 12 but I think it's going to happen, and I do think it might happen sooner than the five years left on this deal. Your thoughts? 
I agree, and, and that's just because it, it popped up twelve. Surprised me. I'll be honest with you. I, I you know, I, I didn't expect it to go there, but um, twelve actually may be. You know, as much as I'm not, you know, it, I'm not a big expansion guy. You know, I, I I thought four was good, but but you, and I think that some of the problems with the dominance of, you know, the same teams every year, uh, it has to do number one with that program in Tuscaloosa, uh, and number two, the fact that the schools in the ACC and Big Twelve can't seem to get their act together. And really with the big 10, it's getting that way too. I mean, you know, Michigan and Penn state have been competitive at times. Um, Wisconsin's been competitive at times, but Ohio state's ruled that league. Um, You mentioned the PAC 12 and, you know, top to bottom, you know, they're as competitive as uh, the other four leagues. They just don't have a great team uh, with the elite talent that those other schools have, because Frankly, they've been hemorrhaging players from what I call their recruiting bed basket basket in the state of California. So, and all those guys are going east or to the northwest right now. So, it's a it's a situation where if you go to twelve, if you're going to include the group of five, and 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 I've I've preached this from the start. Nothing against the group of five, but it's fundamentally unfair when you start to think about it to go with okay, l- l- let's go with let's say Georgia, okay, has Alabama on the schedule in the regular season, okay, and Georgia goes and loses by one point in Tuscaloosa during the regular season, right? Alabama's undefeated. Uh, and then they, they they went out and they go to the SEC championship game in Atlanta, and Alabama beats them again by a field goal. Georgia's blown everybody else out, but they have two losses. And this happens to be one of the years where – all the conference champs are undefeated and you got a lot of teams with one loss like Notre Dame or whatever. And then you have app state and I'm using that as an example or UCF uh, you know, let's say, let's say app state's biggest win was beating NC state that finished five and seven in Raleigh Uh, and they're 12 and 0, but they get the auto bid. And then you have a chance of a two loss Georgia being left out, particularly if you look in the SEC West that year and you have an 11 and one LSU, Texas A&M or Auburn, uh, because that other SEC team is going to get in. So, so tell me that's fair uh, with an 18 deal. When you get to 12, it, it changes things because there's not that much difference between five and eight, but five and 12 there is. Uh, and I think at that point there's room for everybody. And these people that are anti SEC out there, and they are many, uh, this is actually for the Southeastern Conference, huge, huge. You're, I mean, if they'd have had this in place uh, this entire past decade, uh, there would have been at least, you know, with the exception of maybe of 2016, there would have been two and three teams, maybe four at times from the SEC in a 12-team playoff. Can I so just tell you, just on helps. your point, I don't yeah. mean to interrupt, but to no. your point, the last five years – uh, we, we had some of our, our, our guys crunch the numbers the last five years, the sec would have had four bids. So four of the 12, literally a third would have been from the Southeastern conference. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, you know, so, uh, those of those that don't like the sec, I mean, that's, that, that's kind of given them more of a, of a shot there. And and there are some years when, you know, if you ended up getting in a tournament kind of deal that, the two best teams, quite frankly, are from the, the, the SEC. So, you know, looking at it, I, I, I think that 
I would rather it go. I mean, I, and I've, I've maybe evolved a little bit on this. I'd rather it almost go to 12 than eight if they're going to have an automatic group of five. Uh, and I've, I've preached against that. But the bottom line is, Mike, it doesn't matter what J.C. Sherbert thinks about the group of five. And we can sit here and say group of five playoff will be great and everybody else can too. The group of five commissioners aren't buying that. I think they smell the money. And they're hoping beyond hope that there's a March Madness style upset at some point, which is not going to happen probably. Um, you know, and, and so they're, I think with them, their standpoint from what I read from Dennis Dodd and Pete Thamel and others, they're going to sue if they don't get an automatic bid. I mean, that, that's, they're to that point. Uh, and, and so, you know, if you have to include those folks, you know, I, I think 12 uh, is fair because I, you know, I don't think, you know, the number 13 team, you know, I, I, the number 13 team still may have an argument, right. But, but it's, it's, it's more acceptable. I think, uh, you know, with that size of a field uh, than, than eight where you're probably most times that G five team is bumping out a very quality power five team that because of schedule uh, gets left out. Yeah, I think Cincinnati would have been a legit top 12 team last year, nearly beat Georgia uh, in their bowl game. UCF, as you mentioned a few years ago, um, but that's few and far between. Yeah, I, I'm not a lawyer, but if the group five decided to file a lawsuit again, what is to stop the power five from saying, hey, we'll just go break off from the NCAA. You guys do your own thing. I, I I don't know where in court they would have a leg to stand on. I, I just, I, I don't, I don't know. I'd, I'd love to hear from a legal expert on that. Um, and you're right. That is going to be one of the major bones of contention, whether or not to give the group five an automatic bid. And I get it. They want to see it at the table. Uh, so for them to just say, no, you, why don't you guys have your own playoff? They're, they're not buying that. They want to be a part of this. Uh, and they most importantly, they want to be part of the, the cash cow that, that is uh, the playoff and that will be even more so when it, when it is expanded. Um, look, I don't think this does anything to hurt the SEC because you're, you're going to see multiple SEC teams in a 12-team playoff, if it is 12, every year. I mean every year. And more often than not, it's going to be more than two. What what it does, I think the theory is, is that all of a sudden the Pac-12 and the Big 12 and leagues such as that will now be able to sell recruits on, hey, okay, it's still the same five teams competing for a national champion, but at least we're in the playoff. You know, we're, we're there, so you're going to be there for at least one game if you come to school XYZ. Um so I, I, I get that. I, I'm just surprised. And, I, you know, reading some of the things, this is from Pete Thamel's article on Yahoo. He says uh, he, he spoke to a number of what he calls uh, stakeholders. I, I'm guessing a lot of those would be conference commissioners, athletic directors, university officials. He says, amid those conversations, a surprise emerged. Officials on campuses, in conference offices, and in the television world have expressed an openness toward a 12-team playoff as the most likely result. Quote, the reason you go to 12 is because you can develop the road of least resistance toward a good result, 
that's a silly uh, argument to me. <laughs> you don't need 12 to get a good result. Um, eight would certainly suffice for that. Another snag that makes some uncomfortable with eight teams is who'd get left out. If there are six automatic bids, for example, a team ranked four or five could theoretically be left out, and a team ranked 18, for example, makes the field. The scenario makes some uncomfortable. Well, again, that goes to the root of do you actually give the group of five an automatic bid. I just can't help. Call me cynical on this. I don't think there was any momentum for this to happen. I mean, it was talked about and some people wanted it, but for momentum to actually happen before the pandemic, I think the financial strain of the pandemic really caused some people to take another look at this and say, maybe we ought to think twice about, you know, just kind of putting this off for a while because we got a lot of money to make up. Uh, you know, when SEC schools are taking, in effect, an advance, right, mm. of about $23 million, that's what that was. That wasn't newfound money. That's borrowing money from future TV revenues once the ESPN takeover of CBS package deal takes over. That's what that is. So if SEC schools are doing that, then you know other uh, conference schools are hurting. And, and th- this, th- there's no easier way than to get money into the school's pockets than this. There's just nothing you can do than to just expand the playoff and the dollars will come. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and it, it will. I mean, and you're also talking about, you know, teams playing as many as 17 games uh, in, in a season, uh, you know, which, which, which has been an argument against for a long time. But uh Heck, high school teams do it. Pro teams do it. I mean, you know, I've, I've seen high school teams play 15, 16 games uh, in a year. And, and really, you'd have to be one of the lower four-seeded or eight-seeded teams uh, in the playoff and miraculously win four games in a row uh, to get uh, to the championship and to actually play 17. Other than that, you're talking about one additional game uh, for the, you know, what Clemson and Alabama and, and the other schools have been doing since the playoffs right. started. So uh, I don't really buy that argument either. I'm curious to see the structure. Uh, I think there's discussions to be had about what happens to the bowls, because I don't know that you sit there and have fans travel to neutral sites four weeks in a row. Uh, I think semifinals and finals will stay on neutral fields. Maybe the bowls get the quarterfinals. Maybe they don't. Um, if you do that, then you're talking about the one seed not getting a home game, but the eight seed yeah. does. Uh, right. So, so there's a lot, a lot to be discussed about the logistics. But uh, in terms of what's good for the sport, and, and look, and I also think auto bids. There are some people out there, and some of the articles I read said, well, auto bids may not happen. I, I if you're, if it's, if it's a concern at all to expand the interest. Uh, and, and I think this is more of a fan thing because the ratings have been off the chart and all that. And I think it's fans that don't make the playoff that are upset about it. You know, oh, well, the cotton bowl is not that exciting anymore and who cares? And it's just four teams. And all. I think it's more of a fan thing. I think over time it could erode, but uh, you're talking about a long time, but if you, if you care at all about access and excitement and, and having the playoff sort of touch other teams, you got to do auto bids for the power fives. That way, you know, you have a little drama to it. And, and, and instead of the playoff touching four teams a year, de, it, it de facto touches 17 teams. You, you expand it by 13 teams that, hey, look, it may be a long shot. You may not win five games in a row to win the national championship if you're Northwestern last year. But you got a shot, man. 
And, and that's magical. I mean, you know, it's, it's magical. That's why March Madness is so popular. Hey, well, you know what? You got a shot. That's why they still play conference tournaments in, in college basketball. Well, you still, the season, it isn't over. Now, now, football to me is not a tournament sport like basketball. However, you know, you do auto bids. I, I, you know, the SEC championship game is always going to be exciting and a big money maker. But, but the other conference championship games might, quite frankly, unless there's something big at stake nationally, they don't really get the attention the SEC does. Mm-hmm. The SEC, you know, on that Saturday, you know, everybody kind of watches the good teams, but that SEC game's the biggest. Um, I think this helps the Big Ten, Pac-12, Big 12 championship game uh, because then you have like a, a Baylor a couple of years ago has a shot or whatever. So, you know, I, 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 that's why I sort of like 12. I think with eight – if you do auto bids, that it kind of gets weird a little bit to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you have an upset, it can throw the whole thing off. Uh, the other thing, though, if on the other side of that argument is, how often do we see upsets in conference championship games? Really? I mean, you, you look for the last 30 years since they've had conference title games, you can count on one hand, really, uh, the massive upsets. No doubt. The one that always stands out in my mind is 96 Texas, Nebraska. Yep, John Makovic, uh, the fourth down play. That's like the first significant big-time upset I remember in a conference championship game. A&M beat Kansas State and Michael Bishop, too, that week. Right. Knocked them out. Uh, Michigan State, Ohio State in 2013. That let Auburn get in. Yep. Um, I can't remember when one happened in the SEC. I just don't. I, has there ever been an upset, like a big upset in the SEC? Team? I mean, there's been really big game. Uh, there's been uh, really LA, LSU matchups. 2001, LSU 2001 against Tennessee. Tennessee yes. wins. Tennessee yes. wins that. They go yes. to the oh, Rohan Davey goes out. Matt Mock comes in. Right, 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 right. Saban's yeah. probably signature win. It out. Yeah, so I yeah. But, I'd but love I, to know what the point spread on that was. Other than that, though, I mean, you look through history and there's just, you know, when, when Alabama's better than Florida, Alabama wins. When Florida's better, they win. I mean, right. it, it just it hasn't happened. But, you know, there, there have been some classic games like Georgia-Bama. Right. That's what I was saying. That's a classic game. You know, but no matter who won, wouldn't have been a major upset. Yeah, that's yeah. So, you know, and 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 so 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 the chances of that happening and and throwing it off and throwing your eighteen bracket off. And my my point is, is rare, and you still get the access. But I for for the reasons I've stated, if you're going to expand it, just go to twelve. And then figure out something to do with the bowls. That, that that's that's my thing. And and you know you you got to sort of tweak the bowls and make them kind of programming, which is what they are. What we've talked about the whole time. It, well, yeah. I mean, as I've said a number of times, it's December and people want to put something on, so they will watch yeah. Ball State versus Georgia State in the Pringles Bowl because it's on and it's December 18th and it's football and there's nothing else on. So for those that like, like there's a national talk show host, not worth mentioning his name. And that's all he does. It's like, how much can I rip the minor bowl games? I'm going to do that for three hours and call it a show. Like, okay, but you're missing the point. Like, you know, ha ha, that's funny. But the fact of the matter is, is that they're not going anywhere. It's, it's easy programming and they sell and people watch them. They actually rate I don't care if there's five people in the stands. 
The 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 playoff, however, I do think there's a natural concern that ratings will continue to dip if you have the same four or five schools, mm-hmm. and particularly if you have the same two, same two schools and times from the same region of the country. So the only way to avoid that is when people say, well, if we didn't have a play, if we had a BCS, that wouldn't have happened wrong again. That's not true. If we had the BCS, it'd be the same four or five teams playing for the title game. Do the math. The only way to ensure we have geographical balance and more inclusion, which has become a popular word on this uh, topic, is that you give automatic bids to those other leagues. It's the only way to do it. And so if you do that, then all of a sudden you have some fresh blood and and it, it, it does spice it up some. My only concern, and I'm, it, it's weird, and, and I know we got to wrap it up soon because we're going to get ready for Shane. I remember 20 years ago when I first got started in sports talk radio, And one of the hosts I worked with, maybe multiple now that I think about it, they were so anti-playoff and their whole argument was, well, you you kill the the regular season if you have a playoff. The best thing that college football is, it's about the regular season, unlike the other games. You know, the games mean everything. And my argument was an A-team playoff is not going to take away from the significance of Auburn, Alabama, of Florida, Georgia, of Carolina, Clemson, of Michigan, Ohio State, of the week three matchup with whoever and whoever. It, it, you still, every game, there's going to be something riding on it. Even if you think you've already clinched an 18 playoff, you're going to want that first round uh, either by or play at home field, which I believe the first round will be home field. Um, so that never hood, uh, ne- that never stood up to me. But I'm going to contradict myself a little bit. I think when you go to 12, you start to take away that that loss is not as soul crushing as it ordinarily would be. So that's my only concern about going to 12. I I thought eight has been the ideal number for as long as I can remember this discussion going on. And then 12 pops up and it's like, Whoa, what, what, wait, four to 12 are the, 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 the sport that moves at a glacial pace on everything in terms of change is now going to do a radical thing where they triple the amount of playoff teams. Wow. This is, this is counter to everything I've ever heard that college football should be. So that's my only final take on that. Relax. Ride with Founders. When you refinance your new or used vehicle from another financial institution, Founders will beat your existing rate by 1% to a minimum of 1.99% for autos and 4.99% for RVs. Or purchase a new or used vehicle and Founders will deposit $100 into your loyalty select account. Lower your rate or cash in the bank. Get started on your refi or buy today at foundersfcu.com slash refi or buy. Membership qualification required. Terms and conditions apply. Founders Federal Credit Union is federally insured by NC. If you are saving for a down payment to buy a home, you may be able to drop your savings goal from 20% to less than 5%. Ameris Bank offers a wide variety of loan solutions with low and no down payment options. With a quick consultation, the man, the myth, Stuart Wingo, loan officer at Ameris Bank, can help you determine which option best fits your financial needs and gets you into your dream home. If you're looking for a variety of products, competitive rates, and exceptional services, Service, call Stuart Wingo at 803-319-1777. You can also check him out online, amerisbank.com slash Stuart Wingo. Save thousands of dollars today by simply calling Stuart Wingo at 803-319-1777. You'll be glad that you did. 
Back with you on the JC and Morgan podcast. Uh, we go from playoff talk to, to coach talk, and we're going to cover the gamut with our next guest. He is Shane Beamer, uh, getting ready to, for his first year as a head coach of the South Carolina Gamecocks and kind enough to spend some time. Shane, how are you? I am uh, awesome. I hope you guys are, and I and, uh, really appreciate you having me on with you. I uh, enjoy visiting with you guys back in the late 2000s, 2007, yeah. 9 and 10 when I was here before, and nothing has changed in the 10 years since I've been gone. I, I know. I, I know we've spoken uh, since that point, but the last time I think you and I actually met, we, played, we were playing in the Steve Spurrier Golf Tournament, uh, and your game was much better than mine then, and I'm sure it's even better uh, today, but we'll, uh, well, I don't know about that. I was playing a lot of golf before when I was working for Steve Spurrier. So <laughs> yeah, he had to, it was, it was a job requirement. Yeah. So um, I'm not playing nearly as much anymore. Uh, understandable. You, you got a lot of work to do. Uh, there's no question about that. We're going to get into that before, you know, before we dive right into that, cause I know you could ask the same questions about too deep and schedule and everything else. Uh, a lot of our guests that we've had, we, we, I call it the, the this is your life segment. And, and I want to just go through because I, I think I think your story is a fascinating one. And, it, and it's it's somewhat unique. I, I've been in the middle of college baseball playoffs and some of the most successful coaches still standing are, are, were grinders is the term we use. Guys that had to pay their dues, this job, that job, this job, that job before they finally got that premier job. And I, and I think your career parallels that. Let me go through this real quick. Of course, you know, you played at Virginia Tech for uh, the legendary coach, Frank Beamer, your father. Then you get uh, an opportunity in 2000 at Georgia Tech as a GA. Then Tennessee, a GA. Then Mississippi State uh, as an assistant coach. Then, of course, South Carolina, 2007 through 2010. I, I like to call those the formative years, and we'll, we'll backtrack to that. Then to Virginia Tech, assistant head coach, 2011 to 2015. Then Georgia, 2016 to 2017. Then Oklahoma, 2018 to 2020. And, and here you are. So when you look back at that, uh, are, are, you, are you happy the way everything turned out? I, I know you could have been a head coach earlier. But again, there's something to be said about a guy who was able to, to show that versatility, work for so many quality head coaches and learn from them and take that experience into this great opportunity. What were your, what's your overall takeaway from that timeline? Yeah, no, I appreciate you saying that. And, and uh, one, my first takeaway is just how blessed I've been to have worked for so many amazing coaches uh, at those schools from Lincoln Riley all the way that most recently to George O'Leary, who mm -hmm. I started with, and then just coaches, on those staffs of different places that I've been, you know, when I was at Georgia tech, uh, Bill O'Brien, the former head coach of the Texans was the running backs coach. Ralph Friedgen was the offensive coordinator. I go to Tennessee and I'm with, you know, coach Fulmer, but Doug Marone, the former head coach of the Jaguars is the, is, is on the staff and, and so many great people. I'm at Mississippi state and Joe judge, the head coach of the giants is one of our graduate assistants, you know, and then South Carolina, Virginia tech. I've just been blessed to be around a lot of great coaches, head coaches and places. Uh, but absolutely from a career standpoint, for me, I was just telling a, a recruit and his mom about this the other day. I, I wouldn't have, if somebody had said, okay, you're 20, I think this is going to be my 22nd year in coaching. If somebody could have, would have said, okay, you're 22nd year in coaching, you're going to be the head coach at, at the University of South Carolina. How would you want to shape it? And I'm not just saying this because it's what happened. 
I would have done the route that I did mm-hmm. as opposed to of just being an offensive coordinator for the last 10 years or whatever, nothing against that. But I know a lot of offensive coordinators that have no business being head coaches and <laughs> that's not a negative. It's just right. some guys are great at designing offenses, but being a head coach is, is, is a different animal. And it really helped me to be some, you never totally prepared for this chair, but the experiences that I've had have prepared me for this chair better than if I had just gone that route because I've coached defense, I've coached offense, I've coached special teams. I've been around different types of programs from Georgia Tech in the middle of downtown Atlanta to Mississippi State in rural Starkville, Mississippi. Um, I've been a recruiting coordinator. I've been a special teams coordinator. I've been an associate head coach. I've been an interim head coach. And, and all those roles have you know, shaped me and helped me prepare for this chair. I think the narrative, well, he hasn't been an offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator. I just think that's a lazy narrative, mm-hmm. you know, frankly. Um, I'm not comparing myself to Dabo Sweeney or Urban Meyer, but those guys were never offensive coordinators and, and they've been <laughs> fairly <laughs> successful as head coaches. Right. So again, whether I'm successful or not in this role and I have every confidence in the world that, that we are going to be, it's not going to be because I wasn't an offensive coordinator before I got into this chair. It's, it's funny you bring that up because it, it is changing. And, and like you said, without names being thrown out there, there I've seen several incredibly talented coordinators the moment they step in that head chair it crumbles apart because it doesn't always translate into being a a great head coach and as you gave some examples many guys today uh, that weren't coordinators have had success as head coaches there's so much more to the job now and the salaries for coordinators uh, have never been higher. So you can hire brilliant X and O guys to run the offense and defense, but you really need a head coach to do so much more. And obviously your background lends itself to, to knowing what those tasks are and be, and being able to handle them. Yeah, no question. This is like, you guys are a fantastic podcast, so I don't mean to talk about anybody else, but I was listening to another <laughs> podcast uh, this morning and they were interviewing uh, uh, Sean McVay, the head coach of the Rams was on there and it was him and uh, I believe uh, Peter Schrager that's on NFL Network. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about how they said the same thing, like offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators doesn't always translate to being a head coach. And, and a lot of that is being able to quote unquote what they said command the room um and when coach tanner hired me and i came over here on that sunday and stood in front of the team and talked to the team and when i do it now it's not that wasn't the first time i'd ever done that i've been a special teams coordinator so when you're the special teams coordinator you have to stand in front of the whole team uh and talk you and the head coach are the only guy that 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 does that in the program when i was a an interim head coach one time at virginia tech i had to do that so those experiences have certainly prepared me and then having a great teacher that i watched growing up and my dad and and all the other things that you know come across this desk and and learning from lincoln and kirby smart who were both first-time head coaches and i was on their staffs early on that was benefit uh very beneficial to see because honestly Honestly, Mike and JC, I felt like, like I got hired in December. I literally felt like it was late February before I did anything football related, you know, here, <laughs> at least me being able to go into like the offensive staff room, defensive staff room and, and talk football because for so much early on, there's so many other things that come across this desk because you are 
the CEO, if you will, you know, of a, uh, a big time business. And there's a lot of other things you have to deal with, which I love, don't get me wrong, but I realize that that's part of it. You know, I'd seen it and I knew that going into it. Well, I'm going to take you back some while we're going down memory lane. Okay. 1987. That was, uh, I think your dad's first year at Virginia tech. It was Ster- Sterling sharp, Todd Ellis, you guys had tied the year before in Blacksburg, uh, your first impressions of Williams Bryce stadium at that point. And then in 89, I remember this game only because my, my mom took me to this game. My dad usually took me to the other games. I was 13 or something. The tie game against Todd Ellis, Harold green, all those guys in Sparky's first year. So your first impressions of Williams Bryce at that point. And then in 89, as you were getting Virginia tech going, I think it was your dad's third year. That tie was sort of a surprise. Did, did that give you guys a little momentum? And uh, was that one of the points along the way uh, in building that, that you said, Hey, you know, we're, we're going to get this thing going in the right direction. Yeah. I mean, there's, it's, it's, it's crazy. So 1986, my dad's coaching at Murray state and they're playing Eastern Kentucky and Eastern Illinois and Austin P and Moorhead state. And, 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 the, my first experience with big time college football was coming down here in 1987 <laughs> when Virginia tech played South Carolina. And, you know, when you're playing, when you're at Murray state and I'm riding the bus to the game with my dad at, uh, at Southeast Missouri state, like you didn't have police escorts rolling into Cape Girardeau, <laughs> Cape but <laughs> I'll never forget coming here. Um, I guess we stayed. I don't even remember where we stayed. I came down with the team when I was like 10, 11 years old. And I'm guessing we stayed out there on two notch road where a lot of the visiting teams stay when they come to Columbia anyway. And you guys probably know better than me. Like I don't think 77 went all the way, you know, past like shop road and bluff road. Then am I right in saying that? Did it stop? Yeah, they built 277. It opened shortly thereafter that. Okay, well, for for whatever reason, wherever we stayed, the team buses came down Assembly Street. And my mom will still tell this story. Like, they took the team buses on the opposite side of Assembly Street, like going against traffic where we're in the lane that the car should be coming towards us. But they did that because that was the police escort. And we're like... Holy crap. Like what is, wow. I mean, this is big time football. And then going into the stadium and playing in front of, you know, however many it was at the time, it was a whole lot more than what we were playing at at Murray state and and at Virginia tech. I think Virginia tech stadium at the time, seat of 50,000. It was just really, it, it stuck with me because it was my first experience at big time football and just the, electricity in Williams Bryce stadium, the passion, all the things that I love. Now I saw early, early, early on in my dad's tenure at Virginia tech. And I think in 87, we got smoked. I don't know. You yeah. It was 40 to 10. I remember right. that one. <laughs> and then, then, but then two years later, you came later. Yeah. I do remember 89 was a night game. If I remember, I think it was like it was. 17, 17 to 17, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it was. And uh, they had beaten, they actually had opened with Duke and Steve Spurrier. Wow. In Sparky's uh, first game and beating them, yeah. Uh, and Tech was the next game, and we all thought it was going to be, yeah, I'll beat these guys, you know. And, yeah. um, no, it uh, was, didn't uh, happen. It was uh, uh, very memorable because '87 Virginia Tech was two and nine. '88 they were three and eight. That game was early in the season, like you're saying. 
So you're going into the season, you don't quite know what to expect and to be able to come down here to South Carolina and play a big time program and, and a big time stadium like that. Yeah. Not that you ever feel good about ties, but that 1989 was my dad's first winning season at Virginia mm-hmm. tech. I think they went six, four and one uh, that year. And that trip uh, or that game against South Carolina, you know, if you can gain confidence from a 17, 17 tie, I think early on certainly gave that team uh, some confidence. Cause right after that, we went to, I say we, I mean, I was 12 years old. We went to West Virginia and beat major Harris up there in Morgantown and, and uh, had some good wins along the way that kind of got that, got us going over the hump a little bit for sure. Yeah. Todd Ellis, Harold Green, Robert Brooks was on that team at Carolina. Corey Miller, number 30, he was number 33. Um, nope. Okay. So, so my next question is, is in the current. So, so I look around and I've had this theory for a while, like for maybe for the past five years that the pros, the NFL football offenses, maybe have been a little more innovative than college in certain aspects. I know you were at Oklahoma where they're very innovative, but you look around the sec and I look and I see your coordinator came from the NFL. Bam. I got another guy from the NFL LSU hired back off of the Panthers staff. And then Kentucky hired a guy off Sean McVay staff. Like you, like you just said, is that a trend with these? I, I, I call them like uh almost tinker toy offenses where they, they it's all about matchups and tight ends and H backs and receivers and different formations and stuff. Is that a trend you could see happening in college football? And do you think with the plan you guys got on offense that, that maybe you're a little bit ahead of the game? Cause it just seems like those types of offenses at the pro level have evolved more quickly the last five years. Yeah, no, it's a great point. Um, and really, hadn't, I mean, I thought about it, but when you put it like that, it really is pretty eye-opening what the teams in this league and across the country have done. I think one thing with the NFL, with the offenses that I think they have done maybe differently than college offenses is, and you just alluded to it, they're so like matchup driven. And you see so many, if I'm talking to NFL coaches, Marcus Satterfield included, it's so much like, okay, we're going to have, these plays and on these plays, we're going to have these three receivers. We're going to make sure they're in the game uh, with this one running back and one tight end. And we're going to be in this formation and we want to get this guy matched up on that guy, because that's a chance for us to be successful because in the NFL, you're talking about what 53 guys on a roster and 40, whatever that's active on game day. Um, So everybody's got good players. Otherwise you wouldn't be there. So you've got to do a great job of one scheming, uh, but then two, uh, getting the matchups in your favor, whether it be by formation, personnel grouping, things like that. So that's certainly something that I know Joe Brady, when he was at LSU, did a great job of with, with those guys. It's one thing that we're going to try and do a great job of with, with our guys. Whereas not that we weren't doing that in college, but most of the offenses I've been around in college, it's more, uh, these are our best players. These guys are going to be on the field every play. And here's the concepts that, that we run. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I just think that what we're going to try and do and what a lot of schools are doing is, is get our best players to the best of our ability matched up on a va- or, or into a very favorable matchup, so to mm-hmm. speak, against the uh, defender that we're going up against. Well, that was something that like, another one of your mentors, Steve Spurrier, was a master at. It wasn't just that he had, going back to the Florida days, more talent than everybody else. He, he, if he's in a spread and he's got four or five wide, he's not necessarily looking for, 
his top guy or second best guy to win the matchup. He's looking for that number four guy because that number four guy's going up against the number four DB, and he knows he can win that all day long. That's right. And so that player, all of a sudden, that's not as nearly as talented as the future first round draft pick on the opposite side. That's but right. there's the matchup, and, and sure. he was brilliant at that. And, yeah, and that's want to be able not to interrupt you, Mike. I'm sorry. Yeah. Want to be able to you know have the flexibility, and it was important to me because you know we did this in Oklahoma, and it's important to me that we're able to do it here at, at Carolina. Is just the the multiplicity and the flexibility within your own system to do that. And right. I've said it publicly, but. You know, we talked about it as an offensive staff after spring practice, like who are our best playmakers on offense? And if it's three tight ends and two running backs and let's go play ball, you right. know, and right. if it's five wide receivers then let's go, if it's uh, two running backs, two tight ends and a receiver, whatever, let's have a system that we can utilize. We can, we, 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 we're not just only able to run this play with these people. We sure recruit this way. And then we have an offense that if we need to put, Jaheim Bell out wide as a receiver, we can. If we want to put him in the slot, we can. If we want to put him in tight end or in the backfield, we can. And I thought Lincoln did a great job of that at Oklahoma. I mean, if you right. watch my first year at Oklahoma, I was coaching tight ends in 2008, uh, 2018. And we had a true tight end on the field, maybe maybe 25 plays a game in 2018. Mm-hmm. Right. We fast forward to 2020. And we probably played with two tight ends on the field over 50% of the time right. in Oklahoma. So it's all about evolving and getting your best players on the field. That first year we had CD lamb and Hollywood Brown. We're, we're idiots. If we don't have our receivers on the field, you sure. know, the last couple of years, you know, CD left last year and we had Marvin Mims and maybe not as many other receivers. So we played with more tight ends and, and running backs, but we had the system that the plays didn't really change. It was just right. people doing them. And and something tells me, you know, the the run pass ratio and scheme this year might look very different than what it is three, four years from now when you really have your recruiting rolling and your players in, in the town. Um, that's that's just adjusting to your personnel. It, it, it's it's only fitting that we would kind of mention Steve Spurrier and your time at South Carolina, because here's my take on your being the right guy for this job. And I don't, I don't commentate very often on this stuff, but I can tell you, I've been asked on a number of different shows when the hire was made about this, that, and the other. And and, and it just goes to show you too, because I, in in doing some um, uh, shows on on this podcast and Sirius XM, we, we, we talked about rake ranking the four hires last year. And I can tell you, nobody had Eli Drinkwitz as Sam Pittman as great hires, but guess what? They both did a great job. And, and sometimes it's not the big name that turns out to be the home run hire. We see it time and time again. When I go back to Steve Spurrier, uh, give Mike McGee credit. He, you know, he got the contract done, but that was a guy who sought out the South Carolina job. He wanted that job. He wanted back in the SEC, could have gone other places in the ACC. He wanted to go somewhere, not Alabama, where they have national championship trophies all over the place. He wanted to go somewhere like he did at Duke and like he did at Florida and do things that had never been done. I thought South Carolina needed to go outside the box a little bit, not just hire a retread, but get somebody who truly wants this job and to make a name for himself with this job. And I started hearing years ago, Hey, if there's ever an opening, don't, don't outrule Shane Beamer. I was like, is that Shane's, is that what he wants? I mean, I, I don't know. And clearly this was something you had on your radar for a while. And, and I would just, you know, I don't, none of us have a crystal ball, how everything's going to work out, but I just think it was so important 
for that school and that program to hire somebody that truly saw this job as destination number one. A- am I onto something there? Without a doubt. Um, one, I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't just uh, to be a head coach. It was to be a head coach at South Carolina where I ultimately uh, wanted to be. Uh, I felt that way ever since we left for a lot of different reasons. And, and uh, it was a dream to come back and, and you can love living somewhere and love the people, but you better be going to a place where you can be successful or that dream is not going to last very long. And sure. I saw that kind of like what you're saying with coach Spurrier. I mean, it motivates me one. I know we can win here. I know how we won here when I was here before with the resources that we had. Now I look at the resources we have now with this amazing facility and everything else that's changed since I've been gone and we we won before, and there's no reason why we shouldn't be able to do it again. And, and Coach Spurrier, I mean, right, I'm, I'm in my office, and it's hanging on the wall, a towel that they gave out in the Georgia Dome back in 2010 for the SEC championship game. It's in a frame hanging on the wall because we got there. You know, some programs, they may talk about winning championships and things like that, but realistically, it's probably never going to happen. Uh, because they haven't been able to for a hundred years of football. So it's not all of a sudden going to change here. We've been there. Um, there's no reason why we can't be back and not just get back, but win this thing and, and accelerate and or exceed the expectations and take this program where, you know, somewhere where it's never been before. So that motivates me uh, each and every day. And then what you just said, I had a, um, I had a, a mom of a recruit that was in my office the other day. And she said to me, she said, it's very easy to see how much you love this place, that it's very genuine. Like a lot of head coaches we've been around, it's just a job with you. We can tell in the 48 hours that we've been here, that it's very real. You do love this place. What you're telling us is not a bunch of BS. It's, it's, real and what you believe and it's not just a sales pitch and mm-hmm. i appreciated her saying that and she's exactly right i do love this place and i know what this place can be seems like i got one more thing just the people i've talked to and i, I don't know you know obviously i've followed the program and covered the program and i heard a lot about before you got there i think it was typical of any transition when you're losing and have a coach fired or whatever but everybody i've told you shane says not only is it a lot of fun and keep in mind, we're living in a world where there's an article in the athletic that says this is the worst month in the history of college football coaching to be a college football coach because of the NIL and portal and recruiting and all that. And so there's a lot of griping going on. Everything I see, social media, out the record, on the record, whoever, whoever you talk to says South Carolina football right now without playing a game just in the offseason is just a whole lot of fun. I mean, you, you guys, uh, I mean, everything from uh, the, the prank you played on the players the other day with the, with the, with the FaceTime or whatever to, to just people that, hey, you know, I wasn't having a lot of fun about five months ago, but, but now I am. How important is that, you know, when you're, when you're facing a turnaround? Like you said, you, you were there first year with Kirby Smart at Georgia. You were there under Spurrier at South Carolina with Sylvester Croom at Mississippi State. How important is it to, to these days to, to create that type of atmosphere? I think it's critical. I mean, it's how I am as a person, anybody that knows me. I mean, I've always tried to be a positive, you know, consistent, high energy type of guy, and that's never going to change. Uh, and I heard that from the players when I took over now, and this isn't knocking the previous staff or anything. Last year was a long year for everyone. Uh, South Carolina's coach got fired during the season. They won two games, uh, 
you were dealing with COVID, everything, uh, social injustice. It was a long year for everybody. It was a long year for us at Oklahoma. We won the Big 12 championship. Mm-hmm. But from sitting down and talking with the players when I got hired, you're right. From listening to them, there wasn't a lot of joy in this building. There was they were they dreaded coming into this facility each day for a lot of different reasons. And Lincoln talked about this at Oklahoma, and he's right. With everything that was going on last year in college football, the four hours that our players came to spend in the football facility each day was probably and needed to be like the highlight of their day. Uh, Because after that, they were going back to dorm rooms and isolating and everything else that you were doing last fall. Uh, So that's important to me. I want to be invested in our players' lives and and you got to have fun. I mean, don't get me wrong. We're demanding. We hold them accountable. We work hard. I mean, it's a grind, but you got to enjoy and have passion for what you're doing. And I certainly do. People may say longest month. I mean, I find this, I, I find it exciting. I mean, mm-hmm. as soon as I get off this this call with you guys with this podcast, like I'm going to go into a staff meeting and we're going to talk about the uh, 10 guys coming in on official visits, possibly 11 now, not to mention this weekend, not to mention the two camps we have going on Friday and Sunday, not to mention uh, <laughs> a dang like all-star team of guys coming in on unofficial visits this weekend because they're hearing everything that's going on about South Carolina football. That excites me. I haven't moved into a house yet. I'm still living in a condo <laughs> 200, 200 yards from this facility. So, I mean, I jump out of bed each morning and I can't wait to get in here and just not just go to work, but to be around the players and, and to have recruits in here and get to know their families. I mean, I'm, I get it. The honeymoon phase is still going on. We haven't lost a game, but I mean, I'm loving every second of it and, and uh, won't stop being that way. I just happen to know a guy who's a sponsor then gets you a great mortgage on, uh, uh, on that when you buy that house, but we'll, <laughs> we'll talk later about that. I know you got to run. I'm just going to give you one last uh, rather quick hitter type question. Other than your dad, every coach leans on somebody during a time, whether it's a stressful time, it's, it's uh, adversity or even a, a good thing that you can pick up the phone and call and chat with and say, hey, I, I, I need to talk to you about this. I need some advice on this. You, of course, as we've documented, have quite a pool of guys that would be candidates. So excluding your dad, who's going to be the first guy you call and say, hey, look, I really need to have a heart to heart about this. Tell me what you think. Give me, give me uh, your take on what this situation looks like and what should be done. Well, it won't be the first because we're like on number 9, 10, 11, and 12 right <laughs> <laughs> now. Um, uh, you know, I've probably have head coaches and people. I've probably talked to Lincoln more than anybody mm-hmm. since I got the job here. And that's more, it's a credit to him and what kind of person he is. But he calls and checks on me every couple of weeks to say, hey, man, just making sure you're okay, you know, make sure you're doing all right, anything and whatnot. So he's been great. And, um, it's really, I look, I got these helmets behind me of all the places that I've coached and I've talked to every single coach that I've ever worked for. I've had at least one conversation with all those guys since I got the job. Mm -hmm. Philip Fulmer reached out to me a couple of days ago and I talked to Sylvester Croom regularly, Mm -hmm. somebody that I've got an immense amount of respect for. Um, but one thing I've done is I've reached out. I, I took the month of May when our players were gone and it was a little bit slower. And I reached out to, I think probably six NFL head coaches that I knew or had a somewhat of a relationship with. And then about six coaches in college, um, Mm -hmm. and just kind of picked their brains on 
being a first-time head coach, mistakes they made in year one, things they wish they knew then that they know now. And uh, that was good for me just to talk to those guys and hear some of their feedback. And, and a lot of those guys that, that, you know, said, Hey, pick up the phone. Anytime you have a question about anything or want to talk, you know, we're all in this thing together and we're all battling the same thing. So, I mean, I'm, I don't know if there's just one, I'm blessed that, you know, I've tried to develop relationships with a lot of people and there's a lot of guys that, you know, I may be calling on uh, just to bounce ideas off of and things like that uh, as well. And, and frankly, we've got a lot of, you know, people in this building that I've hired from on the 10, 10 coaches to Luke day and, and chip Morton in our weight room. I mean, there's not many decisions that I don't bounce off their, you know, brains, see what you think and stuff sure. like that, or, or Derek Moore, who we hired from Georgia tech or Connor Shaw or whoever. I mean, ultimately I'm the decision maker. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying, but sure. But certainly there's a lot of guys who, whose uh, feedback and opinion I value in this building as well. It's an impressive speed dial list. That's for sure. Uh, coach can't thank you enough for the time. Uh, next time we'll, we can get into some nitty gritty on too deep and what the offense looks like and the staff. But I really, I thought this would be neat to just kind of get another perspective uh, of you and the hire and everything else. Wish you the best of luck. And uh, next time we're, we're partnered in a golf tournament, I'll, I'll try to put together a more respectable outing. Well, you and I both, but appreciate you guys <laughs> having me on. Got a ton of respect for you guys and the jobs that y'all do and, and uh, always enjoy hearing you and listening to you. So thanks for letting me join you today as well. Can't wait to do it again soon. Thank you, Shane. Best thanks, of luck. Shane. Thanks fellas. Friends, J.C. Sherbert here. If you're a business owner, you're always looking to save time uh, and, more importantly, save money. And that's why I want to tell you about my friends at iHelp Consulting. iHelp is a Gamecock. For those of you the South Carolina Gamecocks, owned and operated company whose mission is to help businesses save money on expensive credit card processing, Internet, insurance, anything else, iHelp can help your business find the most savings without sacrificing quality. Call my good friend, Daniel at 843-372-5713 for a free consultation. 843-372-5713. That's iHelp Consulting. How can I help you? Special thanks again to South Carolina head football coach Shane Beamer. Um, we've been rocking and rolling on this guest list here, really, uh, since we, we entered the Zoom world, and that allowed JC and I to be uh, a little more guest-heavy. Uh, Cause you know, we always got plenty to say, but it, it's good to hear from some of the other folks and obviously good to hear from uh, some coaches as well. I, I think it's going to be a really interesting year one for Shane Beamer and company. I think I saw JC, you would know this better than I was, is the over under in Vegas. Is it four wins for South Carolina this year? Yeah. And, and look, it's uh they got a road game at East Carolina that's in year three of a build under Mike Houston, who's an excellent coach. And, and so that's tricky. And, uh, you know, you sort of look at who they lost on defense and there's a lot of unknowns. Um, and, and, and I, I think that's, I would probably have put it at four and a half to be honest, but uh, I think that's fair. But I also think this, when you look at the, the front end of their schedule, you know, you got Eastern Illinois, East Carolina, you go to Georgia in week three, but then it's Kentucky at home, which is a, a pain. Don't get me wrong, but it's in Columbia. Troy at home, at Tennessee, and Vanderbilt at home. 
before then you go a and m florida at missouri auburn and clemson to to close it out <laughs> so uh, if they can get off to a good start which you know usually teams that can run the ball pretty well and i think they will can can win their share uh you know it could be a successful first season that 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 schedule's backloaded and if you're year one of a staff i think having it backloaded is a lot better than, than having it front loaded yeah, no doubt about it. I, I was talking about this on a show this morning and that uh, the East, I don't recall a time, and you and I got into the the quarterback situation in the league as a whole, uh, the last podcast this year, I mean, there's a lot of turnover. It almost resembles that 2016-2017. Uh, yeah. You know, and sixteen, yeah, there was nobody. There was just nobody, and and the and the league. I use the term "suffered" in quotation marks because you know you still had Alabama was Alabama, and so on and so forth. The top to bottom, the SEC was not the SEC. This year, I'm not going to go quite that far, but there's a lot of turnover. But on the Eastern Division, you know, Tennessee rebuild mode. Uh, uh, Vanderbilt is, I guess you could say, in perpetual rebuild mode. Yeah, they, and it's even more so. They, they've got even more so, yeah. right? South Carolina rebuild mode. Uh, Missouri's got Connor Basilak, and they've got a second-year head coach. But I, I'd hardly say that they're, you know, they've arrived just yet. Even though I'm, I'm a big Basilak guy, uh, and I like their coach too. And then Kentucky, you know, they had their great back-to-back ten-win seasons, but took a step backward last year, and I don't know what we're looking at with Kentucky this year. So it's like there's Georgia that's in its own tier. In my mind, Mm -hmm. there's Florida in its own tier behind Georgia. And then there's a whole lot of who the heck knows from three through seven in the East. And uh, yeah. And then so for a a team like South Carolina or Kentucky or Missouri, it'll, you know, it'll be interesting and it'll at least be competitive. And, and, you know, South Carolina did win two games last year, two and eight, but you know, that that's a little misleading uh, because there was no non-conference, you know, you didn't get to play Wofford and Troy and Furman and then whoever else was on the schedule last year. So, so that, that team probably would have won four, five. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think Muschamp probably still would have gotten fired, but yeah. uh, and, and Coastal Carolina was on the schedule of the opener. So I always tell people either Muschamp would have gotten off to a great start or the Mike Bobo era would have been 11 games long <laughs> had, had Coastal come in there and beaten the Gamecocks. In right. the opener. But yeah, I mean, look, it, 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 I think, I think it works out well for Shane in uh, the new coordinator. I mean, he's got two coordinators that have never coached in the sec before, but I think a lot of times that that's a little overrated because you know, I've seen a lot of coordinators not that had not coached in the SEC that have come in and 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 kind of their first year was their best year. You know, uh, in a lot of first couple of years was their best years in a lot of couple a lot of ways because teams didn't know what to expect. So, um, I, I think I think again the schedule works out really well. If this were last season's uh, all conference schedule and he had to open with Tennessee and Florida, you know, I'd be less nervous about Tennessee, but really nervous about the swamp and. Uh, and then having to go to LSU and, and all this other stuff. But, uh, you know, I, and look, I, we've both known Shane Beamer for years, and I've always thought he was a future head coach somewhere. Um, and, and as time moved on, you know, I, I remember the 2015 South Carolina coaching search. I wrote two articles about the case for Coach A, and uh, one was for Will Muschamp because 
I sort of thought he'd hire a different offensive coordinator at the time and then and, and kind of believe that, you know, he would rehabilitate and maybe the Florida job had some things. But as, as we all saw, the bottom fell out too there. And the other was for Shane Beamer. Mm-hmm. I wrote that in 2015. I've always thought that, you know, he was a guy that had, you know, as he talked about how, how to be a head coach and all that, that's, that's different than being a coordinator you know, Urban Meyer, Lou Holtz, Mac Brown was only a coordinator for one year at Oklahoma and they ran the option. So it was really Barry Switz. I mean, you know, a lot of the great ones never were, never were coordinators. Dabo Sweeney. How many uh, calls is, how many play calls has Ed Orgeron made? None. Never been a coordinator. There you go. But, but a great, I, great recruiter, great personality, you know. Right, right. And, and again, it's not a one size fits all. Okay. Mm-hmm. Ed Orgeron. Uh, I can tell you, having done games at Ole Miss shortly after he was fired, uh, they, they couldn't wait to, to get him out of there. He was called every name in the book, and then at LSU, he becomes incredibly smart. Um, LSU is an easier job than Ole Miss. South Carolina is a more difficult job than Georgia. I mean, we can go on and on and on. Sure. Uh, but, but I'll go back to what I said. Uh, this was to me a hire that required somebody that truly understood the job and wanted the job. And there, quite frankly, there hasn't been a great list of candidates that fit those two things. And and so for me, I don't care what happens. I think it was the right move as opposed to just getting the mid-major flavor of the month. Who's looking at it as a potential stepping stone and increase in pay or another sec retread. Um, We'll see, we'll see how it works out for sure. Before we wrap things up, I do want to mention, we were kind of joking about this with Shane about uh, getting a new home and getting the right mortgage. And uh, there's so many uh, claims out there and and different options. I can only tell you, uh, and and I can only tell you what uh, our listeners and so many other people that I know that have gone through Stuart Wingo can tell you uh, he's just simply really good at his craft uh, he is tops when it comes to explaining to you what the options are for a refi or a new mortgage. He is tops at getting you the lowest rate and saving you thousands of dollars. What else do you need to know? Really? Uh, the, I always give you this phone number. It's not some secretary. And even though he works for Ameris bank, it's not some switchboard. This is his cell. He'll pick up, he'll answer, he'll call you if he misses you on voicemail. 803-319-1777. It's the one number I can give you today that literally can save you thousands on a new mortgage. 803-319-1777. That's Stuart Wingo of Ameris Bank. As we put a bow on this one, uh, JC, what are you looking for here? You know, the, the calendar is in June. Uh, the attention is going to be 1000% football here pretty soon. I know you've got a lot of things going with the website, but not just uh, locally, but big picture. What are you looking forward to in the next few weeks? I'm, I'm really interested to see how many total verbal commits we're sitting on at the end of June. These, these official visit numbers are what I call extremely pregnant. <laughs> I can't remember double digits. Shane's right. They got 11 coming in just at South Carolina alone. Uh, I think there were 27 guys at the beginning of May that had verbally or in the month of May that verbal or the, I'm sorry, the first two weeks of May that had verbally committed this year, there's 150 last year. I'm curious to see if there's any more portal that happens uh, and all that. And then just one final thing I'll, I'll say on our, on your previous point, because I agree with you. That's why I think Clark Lee, right guy at Vandy, Sam Pittman, right guy at Arkansas. Agreed. Or Geron, right guy at LSU. There's two schools that have gone from conference hopeful 
uh, to national contender or champion in the last 20 years, Oregon and Clemson. And, and, and uh, Oregon was a long, slow build over time. But they promoted from within five times. Brooks to Bilotti, Bilotti to Kelly, Kelly to Helfrich. Then there was the one-year Willie Taggart weird thing. Uh, <laughs> but then they got right back up with, with Cristobal, and they're rolling again. And then Clemson, Bowden to Dabo. Those were all guys they understood Oregon and they understood Clemson. You can even go back to the 80s. And Danny Ford, the other great coach at Clemson, he was an internal promotion as well. So when you're looking for upward mobility uh, in college football, I, I think having that familiarity really, really helps. And, you know, those four guys, and you, you, I'll throw Orgeron in there because, like you said, if it wasn't at LSU, maybe it doesn't work, you know, but he's LSU through and through and understands that place. And um, so, you know, I, I think there's something to be said for that, uh, for all of those guys, but, you know, looking forward to watching, uh, you know, the new coaches this year, see how they progress. Uh, but the, the two big things over the summer, obviously recruiting and then what else happens in the portal? I mean, you have people going crazy uh, in the reaction to it. Cause you have people going crazy over Eric Gilbert uh, who, if he's qualified, is a difference maker without a doubt. He's a stud. I mean, no, no question about it. But, you know, he's got some grades. He's got a little ways to go. Uh, and then Darion Kendrick, who was a five-star prospect and has all the talent in the world, but in big games, championship games, he's you know gotten lit up a couple of times. Uh, and you have people going, it's championship or bust now for Kirby Smart just because of those two guys coming in. And I'm like, they had five stars by their name coming out, but what's the reality of the situation now? Uh, and so I'm, I'm, I'm looking at some of these portal moves and seeing what's the reaction and, and the expectation when they happen and what's it based on. And then what's the result we ultimately get at the end of the day. And that kind of all ties back to recruiting in a way, but with it being such a, a new deal and a new era uh, and the fact that you can leave and hit the portal at any time. I mean, I'm curious to see what moves are made that, that what will or will not make a difference. And more importantly, from my standpoint, what I'm monitoring is how big of a deal is it uh, at the time and how big of a deal is it ultimately? That's a great point. Of course, you're mentioning all the huge names in the portal. Uh, what doesn't get talked about is the literally hundreds, if not thousands of kids that thought that they were going to be highly coveted. So they were unhappy with playing time or whatever else got in the portal and there's no landing spot for them. Uh, and I go back to Jamie Newman who sat out and again, it's COVID, but I, I think there was a little more to that story to, to be honest with you from what I hear from people in Athens. No doubt. Uh, he, he made a calculated gamble bet on himself. Uh, goes undrafted and just got cut by the way. So Jamie Newman, who was going to be the starting quarterback for Georgia, uh, decided to sit on the sidelines and now is looking for work. So you, you just never know. We're, we are in such a crazy, crazy landmark time in college athletics, particularly in football and basketball, that it's, it's going to be very interesting to see how everything turns out. I know one thing. I am glad that we're going to have full stadiums again. Uh, I'm getting ready to call uh, an Arkansas NC State Super Regional. There will be over 12,000 fans at Baum Walker Stadium. And the only reason there's not more than 12 is that's all they can fit in there. If there was 50, I'm convinced they'd have 50. Uh, and we're going to have full stadiums in college football again soon enough. Uh, yeah. JC, always great to do it. My friend enjoyed sure. this one. Yeah, have fun calling that game. I, I, I caught 
Mississippi State some and uh, Arkansas some on the television of baseball last weekend, and you're absolutely right. That's a that's a good one to be going to uh, and or to, to be covering. And um, so have a have have a fun time, Mike. Uh, have a great time. It's one of my favorite times. The Super Regional is where you if you win, you get to remember Omaha the rest of your life, and if you lose, it's it's soul crushing, and <laughs> your season's over. You you can't it sells itself. We 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 love that in sports. We love that certainly uh, in in the television circles. Again, our thanks to Shane Beamer for joining us, and we'll we will be back before too long for JC Mike saying so long for now. Thanks again for tuning in to JC and Morgan. <laughs>